Hello, and welcome to the Queen's Observatory Fast Radio Bursts. I am Connor Stone, here with my co-host, Nikhil Aurora. It is our mission to bring exciting space news hot off the telescope and into your ears. One way or another, the Queen's Observatory has continued its practice of sharing the wonders of the universe since 1857. Thank you for joining us in this long-running tradition. Here at Fast Radio Bursts, we will answer your questions, interview astronomers, and dive deep into breaking research. From low Earth orbit to the clouds of Venus, from Betelgeuse to colliding black holes, it's a big universe to talk about, so let's get started. And welcome back to Fast Radio Burst. Um, last time we heard an entertaining tale of how to destroy stars. Um, this time we're going to take it a notch up and go to another big structure and see how we can destroy that structure, in particular galaxies. Um, we're going to talk about how um, we can destroy something like our Milky Way galaxy, or if you want to stay safe in our, in our world, maybe then destroy the Andromeda galaxy, because it's not close enough. Um, but anyways, um, I am your co-host, Nicole, uh, from at the Queen's Observatory. And with me is my other co-host, um, Connor Stone. Connor, Hi, Nick. How, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I am great. Really looking forward to it. I mean, both you and I work on galaxies, so I think we need no invitation to talk about galaxies at all. Yeah, really. With this episode, the trick is to not keep talking for several <laughs> hours. Yep, exactly. Um, however, we will still try to keep it under 30 minutes, um, and we'll see how it goes from there. Okay. No guarantees. <laughs> Let's get started. Um, okay, um, I think let's start with the basics here, Connor. Um, let's start with what is a galaxy. Right, so our modern understanding of what a galaxy is, is pretty much a big ball of dark matter. And there's other stuff which happens to be in there, <laughs> which, which is actually what we spend most of our time studying. All of, all of the stars you see in the night sky, um, huge amount of gas, planets, all of this, these exist inside a galaxy. In our case, it's the Milky Way galaxy, which has uh, something like 400 billion stars in it. Most of those stars have planets, and there's lots and lots of gas swirling around. But really, all of that is sort of a, a nice golden nugget at the center of a big ball of dark matter. And from a simulator's perspective, galaxies are definitely dark matter. In fact, sometimes they'll run whole simulations that are just simulating the dark matter because that's all that really matters right. in some cases, depending on what you're studying, of course. Um, so yeah, we've got gas, dust, stars, black holes, and other dead stars. Um, now, I should make a distinction. Gas and dust. Astronomers care a lot about these two things. Oh, um, But at first brush, it might not be clear what the difference between gas and dust is. So when astronomers are talking about gas, what they really mean is um, really like specific elements like gas of hydrogen, gas of helium. So stuff like that. Dust is anything more complicated. So there's actually like soot, essentially, yeah. from, from exploding stars. These are large like carbon compounds and more complicated molecules, which do exist in space. And they can wreak havoc on any sort of observations you're trying to do. Yeah. Because they're more complicated than a pure atomic gas, they can absorb light in all sorts of wavelengths and make your analysis more difficult. It's, yeah. uh, <laughs> The main thing that dust seems to do from my perspective for other astronomers 
it it plays important roles. Yeah, maybe it's worth pointing out when when it comes to gas in the galaxy, really all of it is mostly hydrogen, just existing in different kinds of flavors, if I can say that. Oh yeah. Or then yeah. it's super cold hydrogen. Other is just regular hydrogen that is a proton and an electron just bound together. Um, um, and that's the most abundant kind of element in a galaxy, not only just a galaxy, in the universe, really. Um, and after that, there's some super hot hydrogen, which actually gets hot because of dead stars that we talked about last time, but also other things that we're going to dive in today. Okay, so... Uh, one, last, one last thing. Um, an important thing to know about galaxies is that they often travel together. Well, an example of that is really just our own Milky Way, um, which comes with, well, you have the Milky Way galaxy, and then you have two tiny galaxies that orbit the Milky Way, just like the plants orbit the sun called the Large Magellanic and the Small Magellanic Clouds, which are both visible by the naked eye if you were in the Southern Hemisphere, not in the Northern Hemisphere to us here in Canada. But then you have our neighbor, which is also Andromeda, which also has smaller, um, quote unquote, satellites orbiting it. And all of it together is really called the local group of galaxies. Um, so yeah, they, yeah, you're right. They do travel together. And there's there's dozens of even smaller galaxies. Yeah. Um, okay, um, let's go straight to the point here. Um, what does it really mean to kill a galaxy? Yeah, so uh, when we were talking about the Earth or a star, the, the idea of destroying it kind of makes sense. You, you obliterate it, you disintegrate it. Uh, with a galaxy, they're so big that it's not really, uh, it's not really going to be much to talk about if your goal is to obliterate it and disintegrate it, and send all of its pieces out scattered into the universe. There's just so much mass and gravity that doing that is incredibly challenging. So what we're going to use as our reference point for killing a galaxy is essentially uh, turning off the formation of new stars. So in astronomy, we, we really do talk about galaxies as being active or alive uh, if they're forming new stars. And we talk about them as being dead when they have stopped forming new stars. Red and dead is a terminology that we use to refer to galaxies that have long since stopped forming new stars. Okay, so I get the dead part, but why did we add a color to it, red? Right, so that has to do with the the evolution of stars over their, their lifetime, and young stars that only live a few million or a few hundred million years, they tend to give off a lot of high-energy blue light. And if you're not forming new stars, then after couple hundred million years, you're going to find that you don't have any of those blue stars around. What you're left with is a lot of more long-lived, cooler red stars. Yeah. Um, an example of a red star, if you want to look up in the sky, is Betelgeuse. You know, so winter's coming up here in Canada, um, um, and Betelgeuse is going to be one of the, the redder stars that is available to us in the sky. If you really want to see sort of the contrast of a red and a blue star together, look at Castor and Pollux which are twin stars sitting right beside each other. Uh, one of them is red, the other one's blue. And you get an idea of really stars do have color as well. Um, okay, so Connor, what methods are we going to use to kill a galaxy here? All right, so there's lots of subcategories and, and detailed ways to destroy a galaxy. But the, the ones, the four we're going to cover today are, for one, the most straightforward. You may remember this from the last episode, you can just wait. 
if, if you just wait long enough, eventually a galaxy will use up its own gas and stop forming new stars. Um, second one would be for this the galaxy to fall into or even just close to another galaxy. And there's some interesting ways the galaxies can interact with each other like that. Um, and then the third would be an AGN, which we will describe in more detail, but uh, it's one of the more exciting ones, is black hole. Uh, Always the exciting one. Yeah, it's a black hole. So black holes can destroy galaxies, because of course they can. Um, and and the last one, which is really just for fun, is DIY galaxy destruction. So how would you do it yourself and destroy a galaxy? As far as doing it yourself projects, this is definitely hard mode. Um, <laughs> difficult things to do. Right. Interesting. All right. Um, maybe let's just start with waiting here. Um, talk us through the easiest way of destroying a galaxy. Comic. All right. So... Um, if, if you've ever watched paint dry, then this is your next challenge. <laughs> if you wait for many billions of years, eventually a galaxy will uh, kill itself, essentially. They, in a, inside a galaxy, there's constantly new stars forming. In a galaxy like our Milky Way, there are spiral arms. And you can see these spiral arms in other galaxies. And what these spiral arms are, are they're not so much a band of stars that are in the shape of a spiral. They're actually increased density regions, and that they're almost like they're almost like waves traveling through the galaxy. And this increased density region presses gas together and forms a whole bunch of new stars along that spiral. Yeah, maybe to help maybe to help the increased density wave sort of think of it like a traffic jam. When you're stuck in a traffic jam, you just have a big cluster of cars around you. You might leave the traffic jam once you move forward, but the traffic jam still stays there. There's still a cluster of cars that you have left behind um, that still is there as a stuck thing. So that's what we're imagining over here when it comes to spiral arms. Exactly. So this this density this, this higher density region is where a whole bunch of new stars are forming. They also form in other places, but you see a lot of it there. And so in order to form a star, you, you do it with gas. And uh, so that's using up some of, some of the gas each time the spiral arm passes through this, this particular cloud. And uh, eventually this process at some point will use up all of the gas. Now, uh, some of the stars will explode and release new gas into the galaxy, but it's, it's, never, it's never a complete recycling so eventually it will it will run out unless it has some other reservoir of new gas falling onto it uh, and we'll talk about that in a bit very small galaxies like dwarf galaxies um, they tend to do this relatively quickly um, and part of that is because they're because they're so small they have a hard time holding on to their gas to begin with and so if they get unlucky and form a, a big bright star <laughs> they may just blow out all the gas yeah. When that star goes supernova, as we discussed in the last episode, supernovas can release a lot of energy, um, and it, it might just 
turn off the star formation within this dwarf galaxy all in one go. Yeah. Just remember, um, when it comes to this, dwarf galaxies are smaller galaxies, which means this is there's less gravity. Um, and then the less gravity actually just essentially means it's not going to be able to hold on, hold on to a lot more material. So if you just give it a little bit of a kick, it just flies right out. Yeah. Another thing that can happen within a star is... Uh, if you have a galaxy. Oh, yeah. We're talking about <laughs> galaxies. <laughs> so another thing that can happen in a galaxy is if too many stars build up at the center of this galaxy. So as it's forming stars, they're just it's kind of collecting them. And if too many build up, then it can actually change the shape of the gravitational potential within this galaxy and almost almost make it too stable and it and it stops having these higher density regions right. where new stars can form and so it can actually sort of turn off its star formation on its own just by changing how the gravity is is aligned basically uh within that galaxy yeah. all right okay um I think this is a good place to stop. Um, we're climbing up that roller coaster like we did last time with stars. Um, and once we come back, we're actually going to try and look at other ways to stop, to kill galaxies. See you soon. Hello there. I'm just stopping by to quickly let you know that the Queen's Observatory is always here to answer your space questions. You can find us on Facebook. Twitter, YouTube, and our website. Links to all of these are in the podcast description. We're always happy to talk about the universe, and if you ask a really big question, we just might have to do a podcast about it. I would also like to mention some of the other great resources out there. In the podcast description, you will find links to the McDonald Institute, the Royal Astronomical Society, and the Astronomy on Tap program. They are all excellent programs to bring the universe down to Earth. And with that, Let's get back to it. All right, and welcome back. Um, so we've been talking about how to kill slash destroy a galaxy. Um, up until now, we've just watched some paint dry, really, and and just waited for a galaxy to kill itself. Um, I think now we're going to go into some of the more exciting ways of galaxy um, destruction. Um, so Connor, let's start with galaxy collisions. How can they kill galaxies? All right, so galaxy collisions might be considered the ultimate case of a slow-motion train crash. <laughs> really, it is still just watching paint dry, guys. <laughs> still worse than watching paint dry, but okay. Pretty much, pretty much anything that happens in space is very slow. Yeah. Um, so yes, you can have you can have two galaxies collide with each other. This process can take hundreds of millions or billions of years, uh, depending on. The, the angle and distance that they collide each other at. Um, but, but yeah, galaxies can collide with each other and tear each other apart. The, the most straightforward case is a satellite galaxy. This is the name we give to the smaller of two galaxies. So if you've, if you've got a galaxy like our Milky Way, it has many smaller galaxies or satellite galaxies orbiting around it. And since these galaxies are orbiting around our galaxy, kind of like in the solar system on a gigantic scale. Well, so not like our solar system, really, because yeah. in our solar system, <laughs> in our solar system, everything is in a plane and nice and orderly. It is not orderly out there. Um, 
So these satellite galaxies are orbiting in all sorts of different directions, interacting with each other as well as our galaxy. And so what can happen is if they, if they pass too close to our Milky Way, they can get shredded, almost like our Milky Way has a Roche limit, just like uh, a star. And the same thing happens. The part of the galaxy, the part of the smaller galaxy that's closer to the Milky Way is trying to move too fast compared to the part that's further out. So um, what what will happen is the the galaxy gets shredded and spread out into a long line and that line is then what's orbiting the Milky Way now. And what these are called, these are called streams. Um, and what they look like on the sky is a whole bunch of stars all in a line somewhere just outside of the Milky Way. Yeah. Um, so there's a whole bunch of these that we've been able to identify in the sky. And if you can measure the velocity of those stars, it, it really helps because all of a sudden you see a bunch of stars in a long line all headed in the same direction. Yeah. And so um, that's, that's a stream and you can identify them. We've found, I think, dozens around the Milky Way. Yeah, we, we have quite a few of them. I think the most prominent one of those is the Sagittarius stream um, coming from a galaxy that was previously called the Sagittarius galaxy that has now been ripped apart by the Milky Way and it's now slowly being assimilated into the Milky Way system. Yeah. Yeah, and... Um, for the Milky Way, this is a good thing because shredding apart these galaxies, you you get to take the gas from that little galaxy and absorb it into the Milky Way, take all those star stars and slowly add them to the Milky Way. Yeah. So this is kind of a way of refreshing and keeping the Milky Way alive longer by feeding off the weaker galaxies. <laughs> Galaxy cannibalism. <laughs> That's galaxies really. Galaxies are definitely very cannibalistic. Um, so most any big galaxy that you see has definitely eaten many smaller galaxies along the way. In fact, we we have a whole name for this. We call it hierarchical formation. Yeah. And uh, most most galaxies form by absorbing smaller galaxies. <laughs> okay, so how do we kill the Milky Way galaxy then? Right. So. Satellite galaxies are easy to destroy because there's lots of bigger galaxies around. The Milky Way is a little harder. You need something about the same size or bigger than the Milky Way in order to destroy that with a collision. And um, luckily or unluckily, <laughs> for, for <laughs> depending on your perspective, there is such a galaxy nearby. It's the Andromeda galaxy. On the sky, it's already about seven times bigger than the moon. Yeah. As it gets closer, it's only going to get brighter and bigger. And at some point, in about 4 billion years, it will actually uh, collide with the Milky Way. And these, these two combined galaxies will, first of all, we already have a name for it, Milk Dromeda, <laughs> which is... Not, not that great a name, I will just, say that. <laughs> but both the Milky Way and the Andromeda galaxy have lots of gas, so... Um, when they first collide, they're going to boost star formation a lot. They're going to produce a ton of stars all in one go. But de depending on how things ultimately shake out, um, it could turn up this gas so much that it's sort of too hot, too excited to collapse down and form new stars. Right. And so it could cease star formation. And what we would be left with is a whole lot of stars. All the stars from the Milky Way and the Andromeda combined together but not really any new stars forming. 
And so we would call uh, Milk Dromeda a dead galaxy at that point. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, let's move on to the next point then. Um, we said that galaxies <clears throat> travel together. Um, they travel in what we'd call clusters. Um, so how can galaxies within a cluster die or be destroyed? Right. So this is, this is sort of one step bigger. If you're looking for a bigger structure than a galaxy, you can look at a cluster of galaxies, a whole bunch of galaxies that are all gravitationally bound together. And uh, these clusters of galaxies typically have a lot of hot gas. Remember, when we say gas, we mean hydrogen. They have, they have a lot of hot gas in this cluster. So much so that if a galaxy like our Milky Way falls into one of these clusters and passes through it, then all of this hot gas with a lot of energy interacts with the nice, pleasant, cold gas in the Milky Way and strips it off. Um, so while the Milky Way, pass, if, it, if it passed through a cluster, which it's not set to do anytime soon, but if it passed through a cluster, what would happen to it is that the, the, all of its nice star-forming potential would be stripped away um, and sort of added to the cluster. And that's, that's part of how these clusters get so much hot gas is because they have hundreds or thousands of galaxies in them, and they've, they've gone through this process as well. Uh, as you may imagine, considering we're talking about galaxy collisions right now, at the center of these uh, clusters, there is often a behemoth of a galaxy. A BCG is what we what we call it, basically um, biggest cluster galaxy. Yeah, and uh, they they could tear apart the Milky Way without without really worrying <laughs> about it. <laughs> yeah, really, they're they're a hundred times more massive than the Milky Way, and the Milky Way is still considered one of the bigger galaxies um, in the universe. Um, yeah, so. So yeah, not only is the cluster itself a dangerous environment for a galaxy to be in, there's a there's a really big nasty galaxy hanging out right at the center oh. that can tear up anything that gets too close to it, and has done so for many galaxies, and that's how it got so big. Yeah. Generally, on the on the larger end of galaxies, they grow not by forming their own stars, but by eating up smaller galaxies. Yeah. Okay. Um, so moving on from galaxy collisions to maybe the most popular topic here. Um, really, people come here just for this topic. Um, black holes. Um, so how do black holes kill galaxies? And really, let's just start with sort of an overview of clearly these are not small black holes. These are what we call supermassive black holes. Um, so really, let's start with what is a supermassive black hole or in galactic terms, an AGN. All right. So uh, a supermassive black hole, as the name suggests, is a very massive black hole. Uh, so supermassive black holes. It's supermassive. Uh, so these black holes are on the order of millions to billions of times the mass of our sun or millions or billions of times the mass of a normal black hole. Um, so where a, uh, where a normal black hole about the size, uh, about the mass of our sun would be compressed down into an area about the size of Kingston, um, one of these supermassive black holes um, can be bigger than our solar system. <laughs> these, these are gigantic black holes uh, big enough that you can definitely lose a star in it if you're not following it carefully. Um, and an AGN, 
an active galactic nucleus is what they're called because we named it before we knew what it was. Uh, we just knew that these galaxies had a center that was really active, making a lot of energy. Um, these, these AGNs are an example of a supermassive black hole while it's feeding. And we mentioned that black holes are messy eaters and they, they certainly are. While they're, while they're absorbing or accreting, what we say, absorbing a lot of new material, they, they do so in a way which also spews out a lot of energy and material. Um, so every galaxy has one of these at its center, and they, they're, they're constantly absorbing new material. But when, when we call it an AGN, that's when they're absorbing lots and lots of new material all yeah. in one go. It's when they're just super hungry um, and they just eat anything that's in sight. Right. So material doesn't fall straight into a black hole. If it did, then it really would get perfectly absorbed by that black hole. And we wouldn't say that they are messy eaters. But uh, space is really big. And so it's hard to hit it dead on. Uh, instead, for the most part, material will swirl around the black hole because it, it just missed it by a little bit. And as it's swirling around, it moves in closer and closer to the black hole and picks up speed. If you've ever seen a figure skater pull their arms in, as they pull their arms in more and more, they spin faster and faster. And this is what's happening to material that's swirling into a black hole. It gets up to an appreciable fraction of the speed of light while it's doing this. So Just to remind you guys, uh, the speed of light is 300,000 kilometers a second. A second, yeah. Yes, so, a second. So this stuff is really moving fast. Um, and it's, it's moving really fast and bumping into other material moving really, really fast. And sort of like a race car, like a NASCAR collision, there are dramatic effects from this material bumping into other material near a black hole as well. So uh, what that means is all the material gets heated up a lot to really high temperatures and creates really intense magnetic fields. Because these particles are so hot, they have definitely separated into their ionic components. They're not neutral anymore, and they're moving fast. So that's the perfect ingredients for a very powerful magnetic field. Because it's so hot, it creates high-energy light, like X-rays and gamma rays. Um, and we, we can certainly see these with our telescopes. Um, so all, all of this incredible intensity actually uh, makes black holes some of the most efficient nuclear reactors in the universe. Yeah. So like the fusion at the center of a star converts about 1% of the mass that's involved into energy. Similarly, um, nuclear reactors are about that level as well. But a black hole will convert 10% of the mass that comes into it directly into energy, right. which is extremely efficient. <laughs> they're, they're very good at this. Um, and so they, they are producing an astronomical amount of energy while they do this. In fact, it's, it's somewhat similar to a uh, supernova in terms of the amount of energy that, that's uh, coming out. Right. If, 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 you, if you measure the power output, it's about 10 to the power of 40 joules per second, which um, means that about every three hours, it's releasing the same amount of energy as a supernova explosion. Uh, so, yep. Well, okay. We're, we're up there. 
and supernova take like a few days or months to release that much yeah. energy. So these AGN are the most extreme things going on in the universe. And all of that energy being released is enough to heat up all of the gas in a galaxy and heat it up enough that it's no longer capable of collapsing down to form new stars. So in that way, that's how an AGN can turn off the star formation for a galaxy. Yeah. Okay, so maybe an obvious question that pops right out of this is, have we observed this? Have we really seen this? Yeah, so we've actually, we've seen lots of these. Yeah. Um, our first detections of such AGNs were sort of indirect clues. Um, so we can see jets of material spewing out of galaxies. So you, you look at a galaxy, it looks nice. But then there's this like stream of stuff just shooting yeah. out of it. Um, yeah, a classic example of that is Centaurus A. If you guys want to Google it, we'll of course put this in our show notes as well. You can see the galaxy as like a nice disk, but also very perpendicular to the disk. There are two jets just coming right out, which is from the black hole, of course. Exactly. So, uh, so we've certainly seen these jets of material shooting out. Um, that those jets are, of course, created by the magnetic fields funneling material out and away from the black hole, which is part of how they're such messy eaters. Um, and there's also these things called Fermi bubbles, which we've discovered in the Milky Way and in a couple other galaxies. Yeah. And um, the Fermi bubbles, it's basically a just a bubble above and below the Milky Way of hot gas. And you can calculate how much energy was needed to heat up all that gas, <clears throat> and it's a lot of energy. Yeah. And basically, once once we saw those, we were like, okay, well, uh, <laughs> we need something that produces a huge amount of energy, more than anything else we've seen. It sound, sounds like an AGN. Yeah. So, so for, for our Milky Way, the Fermi bubble is also indication that the black hole that's sitting at the center of the Milky Way, even though it's not active right now, it used to be active back in the day kind of thing. And so that is also an evidence for us to know sort of the activity of the black hole for us, for our galaxy. And that's an important point to make. Yeah. Um, a black hole becomes an AGN when it's in its most intense feeding stage. And we suspect that most or all supermassive black holes have gone through these sorts of phases, um, but they aren't necessarily like that all the time. So they'll turn off and on, turn off and on yeah. as they go. Really, the, the, the active phase only lasts for about 25 to 100 million years and not more than that. Which is a long time for yeah. a supernova every three hours. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, yes. But but it's not very long on the scale of yeah. the lifetime of a galaxy. Yeah. Um, so they can weather these sorts of things, and maybe they may start formation start formation back up again afterwards. Yeah. But in, but in the meantime, it's turned off. Yeah. Um, we've also seen these things directly. Um, so there's there's a type of object in astronomy called a quasar and it stands for quasi star and uh, the reason they're called quasi stars is because when they were first observed we didn't we didn't know what they were but they looked like stars they were tiny tiny points of very very bright light but then they started to measure how far away they are and they were ridiculously far away <laughs> so the, they were way out there in the outreaches of the universe but they looked like a, a tiny little star yeah, uh, and they were and they were bright like a star as well. We could, yeah. they weren't too hard to see, um, and so there's a bit of debate about 
what these were. And it turns out that they were uh, AGNs, which are just actually super, super bright. <laughs> and so they can, they can look like a star, even though they're so far away. Yeah, they were billions of light years away, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, they, they, they were called quasi-stars or quasars yeah. because cause they had some things that looked like stars and some things that looked like a galaxy far, far away. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Um, so maybe just like I asked you this question when we were slaying stars, um, I think it's worth asking this question right now as well. So, Connor, in your research, what most esoteric or most out there way have you come out uh, come up with to destroy a galaxy? So, um, the most out there way to destroy a galaxy would be to try and do it yourself. So, <laughs> kind of like um, with stars, we mentioned you could build a structure around a star that would pump out the uh, material off of a star and slowly disintegrate it. You could actually do something similar with a galaxy. A very, very advanced civilization that was very dedicated could spread across an entire galaxy building what's called Dyson Spheres. <laughs> and what these Dyson spheres are is basically you take all of the material out of the solar system, all the planets that are there, and you use it to build solar panels. And you literally surround the star with a cloud of orbiting solar panels. And if you make enough of these orbiting solar panels around a star, you block off all of its light. Yeah. And um, so you can do this. You'll get a ton of energy. You'll get all of the energy out of out of this star, but it takes a while to build one of those. And yeah. if you want to build it around every star in a galaxy, you're looking at building like 400 billion of these structures. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it would, it would take your civilization a long time to construct such a structure. But uh, if you did, what you, would, what you would accomplish ultimately is blocking off the visible light and the high, any high enough energy light you'd be blocking off. But um, <clears throat> just because of the way entropy works and thermodynamics, you can't actually absorb all of the light. It has, it has to radiate out in some way. So what you would do is you would radiate out the energy as infrared light or longer wavelength light, which uh, would stop your solar panels from just melting in the sun. <laughs> um, but in the conversion from visible light to infrared light, you, you would gain a lot of energy along the way and your civilization would be able to have a lot of power. Yeah, um, of course, um, given that this is very esoteric, I have to ask, why would you do this, Connor? <laughs> so the the amount of energy available to such a civilization would essentially be godlike. Right. They would have access, like they would, they would be able to do things on a whim that would just blow our minds to death. <laughs> they, could, they could create black holes if they feel like it. <laughs> um, they could also test theories of physics at really, really extreme limits. So yeah. we build we build super colliders right now, which accelerate particles to like ninety nine point nine 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 percent the speed of light, and then collide them. They could they could do that as a toy project for their kids, and then make some real particle accelerators that use a huge amount of energy and would be like the size of a galaxy. So they could. They they could test theories of physics that we can only do on the chalkboard right now. Wow! Um, if it's possible to make a wormhole, they can do it. Um, 
So the the amount of power that this civilization would have access to would it would it would blow away the hundred and sixty thousand terawatt hours that we use today. <laughs> so kind of like how you could compare a caveman to us and the amount of power that we use as a, as a planet today. Um, if you asked a caveman what they would do with all of that power, yeah, um, they they would come up with some stuff. They'd be like, "Oh, I could smash some really big rocks together." Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they would have no idea. They wouldn't really know what kind of stuff we actually do At with its all full of, potential. Yeah, with absolutely. all of this power. In the same way, it's hard to imagine what a civilization would do with all of that power, but they would do whatever they feel like, essentially. <laughs> and, if they felt like it, they really could evaporate all of the gas out of their galaxy and stop star formation very easily. If they felt like it, of course. If they felt like it. All right. Um, I think that is a good place to end on. Um, <laughs> if you feel like it, you can do whatever you'd like. Um, yeah, thank you for joining us in this galaxy guillotine, as we're calling it, um, of, of, of this podcast. Um, next week, we'll be, or next episode, we'll be back with um, learning how to destroy the universe itself. Um, so, yeah, bye for now. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Queen's Observatory's Fast Radio Burst. We hope you enjoyed this walk through the universe. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to contact us via email at queensuobservatory at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter as the Queen's University Observatory to stay up to date. If you like this podcast, you can help us by leaving a review and sharing it with your friends. This will help us become more visible and spread the wonders of the universe to more people. That is all from us. We'll be back again with another exciting topic in astronomy.